1: For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them.
0: The Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 18, Verse 20, New Living Translation Hello. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. In the studio today, we have a very special episode of Anchored by Truth. Today, we're going to hear the story of someone whose life is a true testimony to the saving power of Jesus and the Bible and the power the Bible brings to our lives. As anchored by truth listeners know, we believe that there are four lines of evidence that demonstrate that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. First, the Bible is historically reliable. Second, The Bible displays a remarkable unity for a book that was composed by over three dozen human authors who wrote over a span of 1,500 years. Third, the Bible gives evidence of supernatural origin, especially through a large body of fulfilled prophecy. And the fourth line of evidence is that the Bible has resulted in an untold number of lives that have been positively changed by its transcendent message. So today, we're going to hear the story of one of those lives. In the studio today, we have Jay Ammerman. Jay has his own deliverance business. Jay delivers homeowners and businesses from nuisance critters and can be as destructive as they are cute. But Jay does so humanely by trapping them and transporting them far enough into the countryside where they won't be a bother to people anymore. But beyond Jay's successful business, Jay is in the final stage of finishing seminary because he has strongly felt the call of the Lord to full-time service. And as you will hear, it is a call that began early for Jay and persisted despite a life that would have its twists and turns. So, let's welcome Jay Ammerman, the owner of Black Thumb Services, to Anchored by Truth. Jay, your story is frankly amazing. So, let's jump right into it. What do you remember about your first encounter with Jesus?
1: My first encounter with Christ, that probably happened in a small church, First Baptist Church, Panama City Beach. First, I kind of back up a little bit. My grandmother, Evelyn Ammerman, was probably the closest thing on this earth I've ever seen to an actual saint. Just a beautiful woman. And she made sure that her grandchildren went to church. And I remember sitting there listening to her sing, like, Come to the Garden Alone. in her weak and high-pitched, just beautiful voice, It's like an angel singing to me. I remember seeing and, and hearing the, the pastor, Pastor Jerry, Jerry Weaver was his name. I remember hearing him preach the gospel message and hearing that angelic voice of my grandmother. It just turned something on. And I realized that this was something that was real and tangible, that this wasn't just story time. The word of God, it has depth to it. And so that would probably be my very first experience as a young person coming to know the Lord. It was kind of like a hi, how you do an introduction.
0: How old are you when that happened? I was probably,
1: say, seven or eight years old at that point, maybe a little bit older. I am terrible about ages. Like, when things happened. I'm the worst. My wife's always making fun of me on that. Like, I know what happened, but timelines are terrible. So I might have been as old as 10, as young as 6, somewhere in that range. Probably closer to like seven, right, though.
0: That's both common and wonderful that you associate your first encounter with Christ with your grandmother. Too many people don't realize what a powerful influence for Jesus that parents and grandparents can be. So, what happened next in your walk with Christ?
1: I continued going to that church, First Baptist on the Beach. I had the idea of who Christ was, although my young mind really couldn't. Obviously, I can't even wrap my adult mind around it, and I've been going to seminary for three years. I don't know, but my childhood mind, you know, you kind of grasp, but you have that childlike faith. But I know for sure. When I was in high school, it had to be about middle of June in I'd say nineteen ninety-four. I was in my house, it's actually a trailer house in a place called West Bay. It's this little tiny nowhere town north of Panama City Beach. And I was doing a Bible study. My parents had given me this is I hate to admit this is almost embarrassing, but my parents had given me years ago, actually it was my grandparents that gave it to me, but a picture bible it's like basically like a comic book version of the Bible. And I had read this story. I don't even remember exactly what it was. And it got me like really excited. And then I put out a real Bible and I read it. And then somehow one thing led to another and I found myself kind of cruising through Romans and it all just kind of came real for me. Like I realized even at that point that I'm desperately a sinner you know i mean even as a young man just the thoughts that we're being tempted with with young ladies and with desires to want to be cool and party and do things that aren't godly that i've heard the preacher say you're not supposed to do and I'm there and I, I felt that conviction and I realized I, I need a savior. I know that when I was a kid, I had this feeling, but I don't know, but I do need a savior. And, and I remember God just put it on my heart and I begged him to come into my heart and to you know be my Lord and went and told the pastor and got baptized in July in a seaweedy Gulf of Mexico that was just as green and slimy as it could possibly get. And it was a beautiful, wonderful moment. I mean, there's nothing like coming out of the water and just being covered in slime. You know, I mean, that was like a badge of honor almost at that point. And I really thought that I was a great person from that moment up. I really did. Like, I thought I was great. I became FCA vice president and I was in all these clubs and did all these things in high school. And I was really like. I'm God's soldier. I'm a warrior. I'm strong. I got this under control. You know, I went to church. and went to different churches. You know, I'm a leader, and I'm going to be somebody great. You know, that's kind of the attitude I had. I was corrected um, down the line that I definitely am nothing without Christ. I realize that now. But that young man, I had the bull by the horns.
0: I think a lot of us can sympathize with that feeling. Young believers especially can get caught up in that early ecstasy of finding salvation and believing that God is calling them to something great. But as Jesus said, quote, In this world, we will have tribulation, unquote. And that tribulation can be humbling. What happened next?
1: I played a lot of sports. I did football, weightlifting, wrestling track. did um, a lot of clubs, but football was my love. And uh, I was above average, I would say. Good as <laughs> pushing a little bit limit. I was definitely going to be a scholarship athlete, at least NCAA level two, not not the top level. I may have gotten, but definitely 1A or whatever it's called. I'm thinking now for sure, like schools like Benedictine College or, but I mean, I've got letters from you, um, South Carolina and Mississippi State and Miami. I mean, I got letters from those big schools, but the smaller schools were really interested in me. Matter of fact, my senior year, we were 3-0, and ranked number one in the state, uh, starting left tackle, which may not be a glamorous position, but the left tackle protects the quarterback's blind side, so it's a very kind of important position, believe it or not. Anyway, we were 3-0, and number one in the state, and I was downfield blocking a guy, and our tight end came across to get like a, a smash shot on the guy. I'm, I'm like holding him up, and he's just going to come get him, and when he did it, I felt this like lava burn down my back. I was like, ah, what the heck? And I I tried to push up and my left arm wasn't working. Well, after the game, we had to go see a therapist. And long story short, I have something called spinal stenosis. And the doctor said, you will never play football again. At which point I kind of said, God, here I am this great person for you. I'm the vice president of an FCA group. I'm going to youth group and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. How dare you take this from me? I mean, that was kind of the attitude I ended up picking up, you know. And I went off and kind of ran my own way. God wasn't being the God I wanted Him to be, and so I, deep down, decided I wasn't going to be the man that He wanted me to be.
0: How did that work out?
1: I went to partying and, and smoking cigarettes because I, you know, wouldn't do that stuff when I was an athlete because I wanted to be a college athlete. And I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do those things because I'm going to control my own destiny by being good, being that guy. It didn't work out, and so. I rebelled completely to the point where I was living on random couches, living on the street sometimes, living in tents, just wherever I could be. And I said one day after drinking and partying, and one of my friends was getting busted for ecstasy, I said, man, I got to get out of this town. I got to get out of here and do something with my life before it's too late. So I went up to the army recruiter and signed up to uh, get on out of there and became a combat medic. And people think I was a kind, good guy, and that's why I wanted to be a medic. Truth is, at the time, it had the best bonus but the good lord knew what he was doing because i I really did end up getting a heart and i love taking care of people and helping people but at the time the motivation wasn't that but even in my rebellion i couldn't reject christ like i knew who he was i would say i was at least as equal as a demon because i couldn't open my mouth and not say this is the son of the most high god like i mean I, i could not and even in my brokenness this is what's beautiful he can even use broken christians like completely broken christians like me to bring people to him. And even though I was drink and party and live a not Christian life, I did know the truth about the gospel message and somehow God would get that through. And I mean, I can think of when I was in Iraq, our translator is a Christian now. He was a Muslim and I didn't know anything about apologetics. I didn't know anything about Muslims, but God used the fact that I believe so truly. in Him, even though I was broken in all this way, and I mean, it happened in college, we'd start a Bible study. And even though I'm living this life that's not right, God still used it. But for me, I was still kind of rebelling, and I was still trying to control things. And every time a sin would rise up, I'd try and wrestle it down myself, and I'd fail.
0: At some point during that period of your life, you became an opiate addict. How did that happen?
1: After going to Iraq for a while, I picked up an addiction to opiates. Um, I had twisted my ankle really, really bad right before we deployed. And our doctor, probably out of kindness, wrote me a prescription for just way more than I needed. And that's kind of started down the line that spiraled out of control. And when I got back from combat, I brought that with me along with a healthy dose of post-traumatic stress and guilt and and shame and, and survivor's guilt and all those things. And... I was working at the hospital. I was covering it up. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like a regular, like you think of an addict a lot of times. You think of this person on the street that's lost everything, that's, that's dirty or 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 whatever. You have this pre-made image. I was a guy showing up in scrubs to work, clean shaven, doing my job and using in the bathroom without even knowing it because I, that that was the game. It was like I almost wanted to handicap myself and still shoot proof everybody. I can succeed no matter what. And I lied to myself. And I got further and further down that road. And I'm answering this question really long answer now. Sorry. But I went down that road and, and I lost my job. I, I remember there was a day, see, I had collected a lot of opiates in my office at, at the hospital that I shouldn't have had. And I and don't know where my boss showed up. I worked nights, I worked 7p to 7a, and I never saw my boss ever. But this day, when I had scored this huge score of drugs, she showed up and she opened my office door and I hadn't hid them yet. And so I end up losing my job. I should never have had access. They didn't prosecute me like they could have because it would have made them look bad. But instead, they just let me go. And realizing that, hey, here I have no job. Now I have to admit to my wife, who I've been lying to her face for years about my addictions. I might lose them. Now's a good time to seek help, right? Maybe I should go. I mean, maybe it should have been a while ago, but <laughs> now I better do something. And so I went to the VA. And they sent me to a counselor who really did me wrong. But in the end, what he meant for evil, I say, God used for good in that way. When I was, when I first got to see him, he asked me the question, you know, do you feel like you'd be hurting yourself or others? If you have any of these thoughts of suicide or homicide. And I answered, of course I had the thought. I mean, I just got busted with drugs and lost my job, but I have no desire to act upon them. I mean, of course the thought's going to come into your mind. And he took that and beggar me with that statement.
0: Some listeners may not know that Baker Act is the Florida law that permits someone to be involuntarily committed to an institution for purposes of determining whether they are a danger to themselves or others. So, where did they send you?
1: Down to the VA hospital in Gainesville. It was on a weekend of Easter. See, God had allowed me to rebel. You know, people ask me, why does evil exist in this world? It's because God loves you and people have to get it taken back. Because if God were to punish all the evil, we'd all be dead. And so God allowed me to grow and learn to a point. And he said, no more. And so on Easter weekend, he sent me down to that hospital. And being that it was Easter weekend, there were no doctors on staff. And they had put me on suicide watch because of my statement. And they threw me in a padded cell with no shoelaces, with no clothes, except for like this one little robe thing. Nothing I could hurt myself with, even though I desperately wanted to not be there. It was like being in a grave. It really was. I had no way out. I had no choice in the matter. I was thrown in there. And then Sunday came. (laughs) Sunday came, and I woke up, and they let me out of that prison on Easter Sunday. A doctor had come in on Easter for whatever reason. And when I walked out of there, I had no desire ever again to use an opiate. Not one desire to shoot up. Not one desire to crush a pill. None of that is gone. I had zero withdrawal symptoms. God worked in me this miracle that began to bring me back home to him. I kind of compare it to waking up in the pig's pit, like the prodigal son, where, where he's feeding on these gross carob pods and he's in the dirt and mud, and he's like, oh, why am I here? If I just go home, I can have it better. Me and my dad's servants are better off than I am here. And so that kind of mindset and heart took place in me because of the work the Holy Spirit was doing in my heart.
0: Well, you're at a pretty amazing place. You went into a mental hospital with an opiate addiction, and now you're out without one. All due to God's amazing grace. That's just, well, amazing. So, what happened next?
1: So, I'm back from the VA. I'm out of the VA hospital. I've come home, and of course, God did this miraculous work in me. My family, on the other hand, they're pretty skeptical. I mean, I was gone for like three days and I come back and I'm like, I'm no longer addicted. You know, after years of lies of covering up my addiction, there was obviously some consternation there. And it wasn't like, you know, God healed me, but he didn't just make my life simple. You know, he still wasn't being the God that I wanted him to be, but he was and is the God I absolutely need. And so we struggled still, not with opiates, never again. But I dipped back into alcohol here, dipped here and there, and and we struggled. But in my heart, I knew that what I needed to do was to get a deeper relationship with God, and I needed a community of believers around me. Which is funny, because that's kind of what the Bible teaches. So, like, for some reason, if you obey what he says, it's crazy. I know it's nuts, but that's the way it goes. And so there was a night we had my wife and two kids and we were doing okay, but we were we just weren't in the right place. And we I mean we were obviously doing okay because we were praying together. So that's kind of a you know, praying together or using drugs, you know, there's kind of a big shift there. And and so we're praying, and we said, Lord, we need a family to come in our neighborhood. We need a God-honoring family with kids, someone that we can develop a relationship with that will help us to grow in you. And man, you know, Jesus says, whatever you ask for in my name, I'll give you. And that's taken out of context so much, because it's not like you can just use him as a genie. And that's the way a lot of people like to say. There's this whole prosperity deal where they say, oh, you ask God, but that's not what it was. We ask God something that would bring him glory. And that is, help us come to you. And he is ready to do that. And he did it for us in a big way.
0: So what did God do in response to your prayer to have a family come into your neighborhood?
1: He brought a family. Their names are the Bumps. The husband's a missionary, the wife has got a heart for Jesus. They actually are a success story in themselves, and and they have a bunch of kids, many of them adopted, and they kind of led us and brought us back to a church home at my church, Woodland Hills Baptist Church, and things are going pretty good. I I had a church family, my business was going pretty well, had an office on Call Street, I had multiple employees, and sitting there in my office and felt really empty, still Because what I didn't mention earlier is that from the moment I can remember, when I was sitting in church on Sunday nights and Tuesday meetings and Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays and always going to church as a kid, I always had this thought process that when I'm the pastor, I want to do it this way. I want to make sure that I explain that. I'm not going to skip these verses in the middle. I'm not going to do this and that. All the different critiques that I'm constantly listening to and critiquing the pastor. I realized that that's not how people normally are and that that is kind of the call a little bit to the ministry. And so I felt empty and I realized, hey, there's something missing here. And then I went down this rabbit hole. I found the Bible Project, which is a really awesome YouTube kind of commentary thing that they do. And and I got excited about that. And I went down this whole rabbit hole looking at the idea of a third temple and end of days and realized that, man, you know, there's no time left. At any moment, Christ can come back. At any moment, like before I finish talking right now, He can come back and He's fulfilled everything that He needs to to do that. And then I I just felt that major pressure of like wanting to proclaim His Word to His people, to His church, to anyone who would listen.
0: And that's a feeling many of us have had. Certainly, Crystal Sea Books founder, R.D. Fierro, felt that when he launched Crystal Sea, of course, the path to which God leads us may be different. What path did God choose for you?
1: My pastor had called me and said, Jay, there's a seminary for a day at Bradfordville Baptist Church. Would you like to go check it out? And, you know, I have my business, have my employees. I pretty much have my free time. So I, sure, I went during the middle of the day and went to this. And before lunch, I was like, almost like it was when I, when I was a kid and I went up to proclaim my faith and, and get baptized. I was like, I was being drawn up there to that moment here. I was being drawn up to that moment and I'm filling out paperwork and signing up for New Orleans Theological Baptist Seminary. That was about three years ago, and I've been full-time seminary, full-time working, and have now the last couple of years been volunteering as the youth group leader at our church. All that is to say is that God took somebody who thought that they were in control, who took control of their own life and made an absolute mess out of it. And he said, I love you still, and I have so many great things for you that I'm going to pull you out of this muck, and I'm going to lead you to the promised land, which is a relationship with me. And so that in a short version, is my general story.
0: That is a truly amazing story. Do you have any final thoughts for our audience before we close?
1: For me, it's a journey, and God has showed himself and been the faithful one. You know, my faith has never been the strongest thing, but God's faithfulness has been steadfast. And what I would want to probably close with would be. To anyone who hears this story, that greater things can be in store, for you even, that my story is not unique. The world will tell you that when you go down certain paths, you're not redeemable. And people may believe that you're not redeemable. Your friends and family, neighbors, they may all think that you're beyond repair. But the fact is, is that God is a God that is powerful and great, and he's looking to save you. You know, when Jesus was confronted about why he hung out with sinners and tax collectors and the dregs of society in the Jewish view, he was filled with compassion. He, he said, he came to call the sinner. He came for the sick. He said, this: it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. And then he told them to go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so for you who's hearing this story and think that you're beyond, That's who Jesus came for. He said, Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a very popular verse in Christian theology. I mean, we know this verse. All of us, we're fellow sinners. We've all fallen short. And the price for heaven, the price for eternal life is absolute perfection. Because we can't be perfect, there's only been one perfect life, and that's Jesus. But he loves us. He wants us to be his bride, as the Bible says, to be tied with him forever. And so we receive His righteousness as credit for us by simply putting our faith in His promises. Salvation has always been about one thing, having faith that God will save you. Before Jesus was made known to man, it was a promise that God was going to provide salvation. While Jesus was alive, salvation was there, and now it's at our fingertips. We simply must fall on our knees and pray ask the Lord to heal us, to come into us, to guide us, then we need to plug into His Word so that we know that the Spirit that we're hearing isn't one of the world, isn't one of your own making, but of God, because the Holy Spirit will never say anything that's against God's Word. So you're not deceived, you need to know His Word. So you ask Him to save you and you're saved. And then to have that same kind of journey like I was describing in my story. It requires a following of Jesus. And that is, get plugged into a neighborhood church. Get into a community group. Don't just play at Christianity, but be a Christian. A Christian like a little Christ, trying to live your life as close to the way He would want you to. And so that would be my closing stories, is that if you don't have this relationship, if you want to be free of your burdens and your sins, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved seek and you will find. I just want to thank the people at Anchored by Truth. It was a great time being with them and worshiping God in this way with them. And actually, you might want to check out Life Lessons with a Laugh. It's a lot of fun. It's a scripturally based story. Then there's a discussion about it afterwards. My kids enjoy it. We've listened to it on the road going out of town or just on random occasions. You might really enjoy it. So you ought to check it out. Thank you very much. Anchored by Truth. You guys are great.
0: We'd really like to thank Jay Ammerman for being our guest on Anchored by Truth today. I think we can all be inspired by the kind of faith Jay has displayed. Jay's life after his conversion has yielded a bountiful harvest for the Lord and continues to yield blessings to a great many even today. Today, for our closing prayer, let's listen to a prayer for combating addiction. As in Jay's case, the best approach to seeking to slay any giants that seek to destroy us are to turn to Christ and seek His saving power.
1: A Prayer for Combating Addiction Father God, thank You for the opportunity to come before You and we humble Yourself in Your glory, Lord. You are all-loving, all-knowing. You are far away and up close, Lord. You are everything we need. You are the source of all life. And yet You love us enough to hear our prayer, Lord we come before you burdened by the struggle and chains of addiction in our community and with our friends, our family, our coworkers and neighbors, and even with ourselves, Lord God. We acknowledge that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect and we seek your divine intervention and your guidance. Your word reminds us that we can do all things through Christ and that you're the source of our strength. Lord, we need that strength as we face the addictions of this world we confess our addictions and their devastating effects on their lives we humbly ask for your mercy and forgiveness we know that you are a god of restoration and healing your word assures us that you heal the brokenhearted and you bind up our wounds lord we pray for your power your divine power To break the chains of addiction that bind us whether we're addicted to drugs or alcohol sex or video games whether it be social media our cell phones whatever it is that we choose to put above you as an idol Lord we ask you to take it and cast it down and put you on the throne Lord we don't belong on the throne our addictions don't belong on the throne only you do Holy Father and we ask you to take your place and rise up in us You are a God who is faithful, and you will not let us be tempted beyond any point that we can bear. And even when we are tempted, Lord, your word promises that you'll provide a way out so that we can endure it. Lord Jesus, you are the great deliverer, and we place our trust in you. We ask you for your grace to overcome our weaknesses and find freedom, freedom in your name. Your word declares that if you set us free, we are free indeed, and we don't want to be replaced. We want to be free with you, Lord God. We ask for our neighbors and our community and our loved ones and our church members and our co-workers to be free. It's not always these wicked, insidious-sounding addictions that get us, but it's the things like the social media, Lord, the things that seem like they're not bad, Lord, but we find ourselves putting all our minds and thoughts on that thing that is not you. Lord, and I ask you, please bring this there. Send your Holy Spirit to fill us with the power to overcome and destroy those addictions, to put things back in right order. Help us to walk in the path of righteousness and rely on your guidance. Your word assures us that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, fruit like Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Lord, gentleness, and self-control. We need that self-control. And we pray for strength for ourselves and our loved ones who are also affected by our addictions. May your peace surround them. May they find solace in you. Your word reminds us that you're close to the brokenhearted and you rescue us whose spirits are crushed. So Lord, we thank you. We have faith in your promises and we thank you for the promise of restoration and healing in your word. We surrender our lives and addictions to you. Fill us with your love, mercy, and grace. Transform us into vessels of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S.com. Thank you for your support.